Christians, you may go down this evening. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord on this rainy Wednesday midweek Bible study service. And I trust that your week has been good. Some of you are probably maybe feeling a little bit of the pull of this week. But I am certain tonight that uh, God's word to have a way of lifting you up. It does us every time. The Gospel of Matthew chapter number 17, beginning at verse number 1. Matthew chapter number 17, beginning at verse number 1 through 5, we would like to read tonight. I'll give you a moment to get there. Media has got us. Those of you that are searching. Matthew chapter 17, beginning at verse number 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth him up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then Peter, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased here ye him tonight this simple thought hear ye him you may be seated he taught us how to live jesus taught us how to live in the gospel of john chapter 12 verse 24 he said these words that rings so clear. Of course, he spoke of himself, but really, it applies to us as well. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see, Jesus would speak of his own crucifixion. He would speak of how he must die, how he would ransom and sacrifice himself. But because of that, it would bring life, not just to the Jew, but it would bring life to all mankind. He would bring life through his precious blood through his death. But for us tonight, we too must be like that corn of wheat because we too must fall to a death of our old nature. You see, we also must perish when it comes to our flesh. We've got to repent of our sin. We've got to acknowledge that we're lost and undone without the saving grace of God. And because of his sacrifice, we too must follow suit. We die because we say, Lord, no longer is it my way. No longer is it my will. But God, I must have your will for my life. God, I need you to do something for me I could not do on my own. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to forgive me of everything I've ever said or done. And we begin to open our heart to him 
How do you remember the day or the night you repented of your sin? Do you remember when that conviction got a hold of your old heart and you realized, I'm not right with God? I knew the night when I heard the word of God to prick my heart. It got my attention as a nine-year-old boy sitting on the second pew, that old uh, oak pew, and had my Hot Wheels quietly playing there on the pew. Pastor was teaching, and then he started preaching. He was teaching, I was playing. We started preaching, I stopped playing. The preacher of the word got my attention, and I began to listen to the words he said. He spoke of a hell that was burning and getting hotter and growing every day. He told me that there was a place that the ungodly was going to go and something began to prick the heart of a nine-year-old boy and I realized, oh God, I need to get my heart right. And that very night, I, wouldn't, I didn't have to be asked. You know, I don't understand today. You can hear the word and people hear the word and they'll say, maybe later. Maybe later. Ah, uh, he needs that more than I do. She needs that more than I do. But God knows who needs what and when. And it's a danger we ignore that voice. But that very night, the conviction gripped my heart. No one had to say anything. I come up to the altar on my own by myself. And I begin to pour my heart to God. God, forgive me my sin. I had to die. We have to die. We have to die to this nature because let alone it will send us to a place that no one wants to go. And it's not going to be a pleasure place. It's not going to be a place where people can do just what they want. They're going to be confined to a place that will burn forever and ever, given a body that will never be consumed by the flame, but it will burn and burn and burn. Oh, God, help us tonight to realize there is a hell, to realize tonight that there's a place we don't want to go. And, friend, if we're to escape that place, we've got to die to this old man. That's why we, too, as the corn of wheat, must fall to the ground and die. We die to the flesh, its will, its whims, its desires, and we yield to the Spirit of God. We yield to the drawing power of the Holy Ghost. We feel God's love gripping us. And it is then, after repentance, we are buried in baptism with him. We are resurrected as a new creature. We come up out of the watery grave and sin is gone. Oh, do you remember the day I do so well? I remember how light I felt, how good I felt, the joy that I felt, the heaviness and weight of sin was gone. You see, that's what life is. That's when true life begins. True life begins at repentance and baptism in his precious name. And Jesus tells us concerning also in the gospel, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, these words he said to his disciples. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, there is a cross involved in living for God. I know it's pretty sometimes. It shines, but there's a weight to it. But I want to tell you something. The more you carry it, the joy gets greater. And it's no longer 
that heavy burden that the enemy made us feel initially. I remember thinking, I don't know if I can live for God. Can I stop my cussing? I don't think so. Can I stop this and that? I don't, I don't know if I can. Oh, but something about when you surrender your heart completely. When you surrender completely, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love begins to change that old man. Oh, it, I, I know we're resurrected, but you know what? There's some changes. It takes a little bit of time. There's some things that's been rooted in there. They got to get out. I won't talk about you, so I'll talk about me because you were perfect. But I had some, I had some hang-ups. I had some hang-ups. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. I thought, can I get rid of that rock and roll music that had me so wrapped up? I had album after album. I can I could name them off. I'm not going to. But I thought, how can I overcome this stuff? Because it's what I grew up with. It's what I knew. But I began to sing a new song. I began to sing, thank God for the blood. I began to sing the song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. I begin to sing songs of the blood. I begin to sing the songs of the redeemed. I begin to sing the songs of praise. And friend, it wasn't long. It wasn't hard. One by one, they begin to go. One by one, they went in the trash or they went into a fire. I begin to get rid of them. And you know what? God has helped us carry the cross. God will help you carry the cross. He will give you grace. He will extend to you mercy. You got to get it in here. And when you get it in here, friend, it's not a hard thing to do. The struggle is when, this is going to be difficult, but I'm going to try to be careful. The struggle is when you're trying to do this. You can't live for God like that because you're pulled from two directions. You've got to make up in your mind where you want to be in this world or at the Calvary's cross. We've got to make a choice. We've got to make a decision, and only you can make it. Mom can't make it for you. Grandma can't make it for you. Papa can't make it for you. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Daddy can't make it for you. You've got to make up in your mind, I want to make Kevin my home. You've got to make up in your mind, I want to live for God no matter what anyone does or does not do. Oh, God, give me some blinders. God, help me to look straight ahead. Help me keep my focus. Help me to reach the goal that I started out on. I want to make heaven my home. I've got my mind made up tonight. How about you? I've got my mind made up. Got my mind made up. Jesus is telling them, these words, we've got to take up our cross. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He went on to say, for what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for soul. A question so weighty that everyone should take time to read that over two or three times. 
because you and I have got one opportunity tonight. I would love to stand here and tell you that I've got it figured out, wrapped up, and got it made, but that's not it. Because now that we're in this last stretch of the race, it's not a time for a runner. You watch runners. Anybody have ever run a race? I've run in a few. Mm -hmm. What happens on that last stretch? That runner that has paced himself, maybe he's tired. He stayed with the pack. It's coming that last stretch around that last bend. I remember doing the 5K. That's about as far as I can go. But doing the 5K, I got on that last stretch. My side was cramping. I thought, Brother Bingham, I'm, I thought, I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to walk. I almost, I kid you not, I almost stopped and started walking. But I said, I can't. I can't. Because I was coming around and I saw the finish line. I saw the finish line. And though my side was hurting, it was, man, I tell you what, it felt like a knife in me. I said, no. And I started running a little bit faster. I heard someone behind me. I said, you're not passing me. And I ran faster. I just beat him. Not by much, but I beat him. Because I knew it was the last stretch. Church, tonight, we are on the last stretch. We are on the very last stretch. You have run a lengthy race. It is a marathon. This is a race that is to them who endure to the end. This is a race, not of speed, but of endurance. If we're going to make heaven, we must endure. We've got to. We've got to. The last stretch we're on and we're rounding. The finish line is in sight. Not a time to say, okay, well, I can see it now. I think I'll just take it easy and just walk. What if all of a sudden you got one of them cramps because you stopped running and you fall to the ground and you can't walk? You can't run. You're done. I've got to press on. The apostle said, I press toward the mark. I am pressing. We're pressing tonight, church, under the mark. And so... We run. We run. But Jesus tells us words that should ever echo in our hearts, our minds. He taught us how to live. But he also told us how to fight. How many realize Jesus taught us how to fight? I'm not talking with these either. He taught us, though, how to fight. He taught us not only how to fight, he told us how to win. How many want to win tonight? Mm. I didn't start out to be a loser started out to be a winner. I believe when I came to God, I was and am and going to be on the winning side. I hope tonight you feel that way. We are on the winning side. As Brother Bingham was saying in his testimony, we're on the winning side. We're in it to win. But he told us how to fight. He tells us, and just in reference in Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, but he tells us how to fight. And I want to go to verse number two because it begins to tell us how to fight and be victorious. Verse two, it says, and when he had fasted. Oh, 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 oh that's the words right there in the grips. Fast, oh, oh, oh. I didn't hear you. 
he fasted. He fasted. Now, I don't venture, I venture to say probably no one in here has fasted 40 days. Maybe somebody has. I don't know. I have not. I do well to do a three-day fast, to be honest. But Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He taught us and showed us what it takes. If you're going to begin to be victorious, we've got to learn to fast. Brother Reigns, why? Why do I need to fast? It just seems pointless to me. Well, you see, when we begin to push aside what our flesh wants, Paul kind of gives us an illustra uh, illustration and insight when I am weak, when we're weak in this flesh, we become strong in the spirit. He began to tell us that that weakness in this body brings us strength in the inner man. Jesus fasted and he shows us how to fight. Verse 2, he tells us that he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, it says, after he was a hungered. Verse 4 tells us something. It tells us this. But he answered and said, because the tempter came. How many realize the tempter's going to come? He's not going to leave you alone. Now, he don't bother you so much if he's already got you. But when you determine in your heart, I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to live for him the best I can, you're going to find out what the tempter can do. Oh, I won't give you a bunch of illustrations because you already know most of them. But he will come your way and try you. He will see what you are are not made of. He's going to see whether you're going to stick it out or if you're going to cave. The first thing he does, it goes to our gut. You ever been on a fast and that guy you work with said, man, I went through the drive-thru and, man, I can't eat this sausage biscuit. It's still hot. You, you smelt that thing before he even showed it. You can smell the aroma of that. Oh, no, no, I'm fasting. You smelt that thing. He says, man, I can't eat this. Here you go. He had never offered it to you before. First time. What a coincidence. Mm. It'll be those kind of scenarios, but this is what the enemy did. He said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. But what did Jesus say? Mm. He gives us our example right here. He tells us how to fight. He said, for man shall not live by bread alone. Come on now. It may sustain your natural man. It may keep the hunger pains, that stomach, from growling. I remember when we first started walking for God, the first few times we felt convicted to fast, I remember working on my job and going out to my truck at break time where all the guys were in the break room. I got my Bible out and began to read. And I remember the first time it just come to me. I said, Lord, in tears begin to fall down my face. So God, this is my bread. This is my bread. Feed me from your word today. Oh, that we should get the desire and passion to be fed by his word. To push aside the plate and now and again that we might get ourselves in tune with him.
that we may hear from him. I want to hear from him, church. How about you? I want to have a heart that's sensitive enough that I can hear his voice speaking to me. We become so carnal, it's so easy. Work, play, different things. Our, our minds, our lives are so pulled in so many directions that except we get a regimen of fasting, we will become carnal. That's all there is to it. We become carnal. He taught us how to fight, to fast. He taught us to fast. And he taught us to stand on God's word. When the enemy comes against you, we've got to use the word. Jesus showed us not once, but three times. He used the word on the devil. When the devil came to tempt him, it's the word of God. It is fasting. And it combines with other things that make us strong. We're going to speak of in just a moment. But for us tonight, the Apostle Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God's word will empower you to not only fight your adversary, but defeat him. I'm glad for the sword. How about you? I'm glad for the sword tonight. You can use it on the enemy who comes against you to tempt you, to test, to try, to try to defeat you. You use the word on him. You send him on the run. But he also told us how that we could overcome this world. How many believe we can live in this world and overcome? I hope you do. I hope tonight you realize that we're in it, but we're not of it. We're in this world and we can overcome. Don't let the world overcome you, but you and I must overcome this world. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You know what that tells me? It tells me what he said in John 15. I am the vine, and ye are the branches, and except ye abide in me, and I in you, without me you can do nothing if we'll abide in him. He overcame. That tells me if you and I abide in him, we're going to overcome. We're going to overcome. We will be overcomers, but we've got to abide in him. Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because when you come to God, you're going to find out what it is to fight and you better be prepared. You better be ready. The only way I can tell you is you better be praying, and you better get in the Word, because if you don't have this, my friend, you're in trouble. You're going to be a punching bag. You'll be a punching bag for the devil. We're going to get hit. That's going to happen. But I want to fight back. I want to fight back. Jesus put him in his place, and he showed us how we can do Put that devil in his place. He overcome the world. But Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. We've got to have the whole armor on, church. It's not enough to be partly clad. The devil's not going to hit you if you... He's not going to hit you in the head if you've got the helmet of salvation on. He's not going to hit you there. But what about if you're missing the breastplate of righteousness? What about if your feet have not been shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? What about if you're not carrying the shield of faith? The darts are going to hit you. And they're designed to kill you. They're not just going to sting you. If he can hit you, his goal is to take you out. Jesus said, the thief cometh what? To steal, to kill, to destroy. He wants to take you out. But Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Take on that whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We're here. We're here. I'm telling you, if there's ever an evil day, it's now. I know every generation has made this comment, every generation, because each sees something new. But we're seeing all these things coming together. We're seeing it all accumulate together right now. We are the generation. We are the last generation, church. We are carrying the baton, the final stretch. We are the last generation. It is not a time for us to take things lightly. But we've got to have this whole armor of God on that we may be able to withstand in this evil day. And having all done to stand, it says, stand. We've got to stand. Church tonight, not a time to be weary and well-doing. We must stand. He taught us how to be the greatest. Anybody want to be the greatest? Let me tell you how you can be the greatest. He taught us how. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. His disciples, verse 1 says, at that same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye can be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall, there it is. Help me, help me, what's it say? We must humble. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself, as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23, 11, but I, he says this, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Servitude, the heart of a child who believes and receives the word is the mentality that we must maintain a humble spirit a humble spirit. He taught us how to obey. John 6, 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. He was our example. He was our example. 
John 14, 15, if you love me, he said, keep my commandments. If we love him, we're going to obey him, keep his commandments. Apostle Paul tells us, we read in Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. So we all have something that's very important. It's called submission. Some of us don't like that. Maybe you're on the job and that boss, he seems, he just kind of, he just trying to be, he's power hungry. Some are. Some are. I've seen them. But they also know a job's got to be done. And there are certain guidelines that must be followed. There's a process involved. And except the guidelines and processes followed, that production of whatever it is that's being manufactured cannot be done correctly, efficiently, and meet standards. Doesn't that sound like our own lives? If we're to be productive and meet not man's, God's standards, there's a method that must be followed. The Word of God teaches us the way. He shares and shows us the way. And so for us tonight, it's vital, it's vital that we take it to heart. As he gave the keys of the kingdom to the apostle Peter in Matthew 16, 19, where it says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever thou shalt, or whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As he gave the keys of the kingdom to the apostle Peter, so he has given some keys to us. How many realize right, God's given you keys? He's given you some keys. The greatest key I believe God has given to us tonight, the Holy Ghost, of course, opening the door. But for us tonight, the importance of something that we all mention and we should all do every day, and I believe we do, it is our lifeline. It's the word called prayer. 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 You know, there's approximately, in just what I have here, 25 references, Jesus prayed. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, that we're to pray without ceasing. I don't know anybody that I can read about like Jesus who prayed. He was God, but he was man. If he, as God, yet as man had to pray, and he did it consistently and continually, should not we also? Should not we also have a frame, a mindset, frame, thinking, a spirit of prayer upon us? He tells us and gives us many examples, and I just want to give a few of these in reference tonight, for time will not allow us to cover thoroughly. But we find Jesus prayed in Luke 3, 21, 23 at his baptism. In Mark 1, 35 through 36, in the morning before heading to Galilee. In Luke 5, 16, after healing people. In Luke 6, 12 and 13, praying all night before choosing his 12 disciples. Matthew eleven twenty 
25 through 26, while speaking to the Jewish leaders, he prayed. John 6, 11, giving thanks to the Father. Before he would feed the multitudes, he prayed. He prayed. And we also find before walking on the water, there was prayer. Matthew 14, 23. Mark 7, 31 through 37, the healing of the deaf and the mute man. We go on and on, giving thanks to the Father before feeding the uh, 4,000. Uh, Matthew or Mark, yeah, Matthew 15, 36. But all these references tonight, church, and I'm, I've got a, a list of them here. Jesus prayed. He prayed. Why is it that if this is you or if this is me, why is it I'll pray later, I'm too busy now? I'll pray tonight. I've got so much going on this morning. I want to stop for a moment. We can't afford not to pray. If you want that day to go well, you better take a little time to have some prayer because it may make the difference how that day turns out. Prayer is essential. I'm not saying that you've got to pray an hour in the morning. I'm not putting time limits on anything. That's between you and God. But if you want your day to be successful, don't get so busy that you forget to pray. Take some time to pray. How many times have you set out to do something and only get frust frustrated, fatigued, and it just didn't go well? You thought, I've got this, but we didn't invite God in the equation. Even the simple things. I've went to work on things before, and, and I've got so frustrated, and I said, stop. God, would you help me figure this out? W would you help me get this figured out, and I, I can do this? Sometimes I've walked away and come back, and there it was. I couldn't see it then. But see, when we invite God into the equation, what a difference it makes. That little bit of time that you invest in the, that time of prayer can make all the difference in your day, your week, your life period. It's a habit. This is a habit that should be one we all develop, and that is daily prayer, consistent prayer. I know there will be things and times where something will happen and come up, but if we'll make a consistency, I want to be consistent, church. I want to be consistent. I want to be consistent in my prayer. I want to be consistent in my praise. I want to be consistent in my worship because I know we're so close. And it's not a time for us to let down. It's not a time for us to become laxy-daisy. It's a time for us to say, I've got to give it everything I've got. I've got to press harder than I've ever pressed before because we're here. He tells us and shows us example after example where he has prayed. He tells us in Luke chapter 24, 50 through 53, he's encouraging his disciples as they watch him and they behold him being taken from them. He had prayed for them. He prayed for Apostle Peter. 
He said, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat, but I prayed for you. Jesus gives us the illustration of prayer like none other. He would go off to a mountain. He would go into the wilderness, and there he would pray. Why? Because he had to, so must we. He was our example. He was and is our example. The echoing voice of the Almighty echoes, as we have read tonight, hear ye him. Hear ye him. I conclude tonight in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, these words. The writer said, an encouragement to us and reminder, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God has given you just what you need when he filled you with the Holy Ghost. He gave you just what you needed when you took on his name in baptism. He gave you and gives you daily such as you need. But my friend, with these closing words, you got to go to the table if you want to be fed. You stay away from the table, you're going to starve. You stay away from the table, you're going to get weak. You stay away from the table, and you will perish. It's time to get around the master's table. It's time to have a connection like never before. Here ye him. God bless you tonight. I hope tonight something, though this was a simple Bible study, I hope something said tonight will be an encouragement and help to you. Every day is a new day. And so each day we must realize that we need his strength. It may not seem like it yesterday, but today you may need it. You may not need it today, I may. But what about your tomorrow? So we're going to need his strength. He told us what to do. Men ought to always. There it is. Men ought to always pray and not to faint. Would you stand?